Hi there, besties. Sarah here. Before we get started with today's episode, I do just want to throw out a general content warning. While I do love everything that we talk about today, we do talk about a lot of more serious topics. We discuss childhood trauma, divorce, mental health, antidepressants and the whole relationship with being on mental health medication, therapy, addiction, things of that nature, really anything in that realm. If it might be difficult for you, this may not be the episode for you. And really anyone who listens, this was a pretty heavy episode for me to record. Um, so just take your time. Right now, as I'm about to get started editing, we're sitting at a little over an hour and a half of of rough footage, which some will be cut out, but we're looking at this podcast being over an hour of talking about really heavy topics. And yes, well, if you're here, you probably enjoy my content or you really love Noah Khan and the songs that we're talking about today. And that's great. But I just want to remind you to protect yourself and If this is too heavy and too much, it's okay not to listen. And I'm not going to be upset with you. And I love you. And I'm happy you're here. That's all. Now enjoy. Hello there, besties. I hope you all are having a great day. My name is Sarah. And welcome back to another episode of My Roman Empires. I am so, so grateful that you are here. I am beyond excited for today's episode. I have loved every episode that I've recorded so far, but I think this one is my favorite, probably up there with the Taylor Swift episode. I just, I have so much to say and I get to be nerdy and talk about someone who I'm a huge fan of and songs that I genuinely love. And one thing about me, I'm a huge music lover. We've established this multiple times on this podcast already. And I listen to music for lyrics. I've said before, I'll say again, my top three favorite musical artists at the moment are Taylor Swift, Noah Khan, and Zach Bryan Three individuals who are also known for having songs that are written extremely well. Don't think that's much of a coincidence that they are my favorites. And today I'm going to talk a bit about Noah Khan, and I'm specifically going to focus in on five songs from the Stick Season Will All Be Here Forever album, which is an album I love so, so much. I considered originally doing a version of this episode, I guess, where I talk about every single song on the album, and I decided to scrap that for two reasons. Number one, the episode would probably be like eight hours long, and I don't think any of you want to give me eight hours of your time, but also... I love every song on that album, but not every song on that album personally resonates with me in the same way. 
some of them don't really personally resonate with me at all. And so I really wouldn't have a lot of commentary. And so why am I going to attempt to share my perspective, my stories, when I listen to these songs on songs that I don't really resonate with that much? You know what I mean? All of that to say... I decided against going through the entire album and my perspective on all of these songs is the perspective of an anxious, depressed, former gifted kid, overachiever, eldest daughter who came from a home that has a shit ton of trauma, lots of religious trauma. I grew up in a really, really conservative small town, um, divorced parents being put in the middle of divorce, being put on antidepressants and dealing with mental health issues from a very young age. I get it. I get the themes in this album. I get the mental health struggles and the trauma that Noah is describing. And that's why I love his music so fucking much. He is so incredibly good at telling these stories. And every time I listen to the the entirety of the Stick Season album, I'm able to pull out more themes and connections between the songs and just, I was an English major for a short time in college and I I did end up with an English minor. I have a minor in creative writing and I think you all will be able to tell <laughs> because the way I just approach this album, I have so much love and respect for like it down on the on the songwriting level and I just I geek out over it today we're going to break down five songs the first song is new perspective this song is one of my newer faves when I first started listening to Noah this song necessarily didn't necessarily stick out to me and resonate with me like the others did, especially growing sideways and you're gonna go far those were the the top two that have always really really stuck with me really been relatable that I've loved long before I love this album like I do now but new perspective has really been one lately that I just find myself listening to over and over again what I'm going to do with all of these songs is I'm just going to pull out lyrics that mean a lot to me, that resonate with me, that I think about a lot, that are my Roman empires, because this album is my Roman empire. Let me tell you that. Um, and we're just, I'm going to tell you what I think of them. Okay. I'm not going to say I know exactly what the songwriters intended with this song. I'm just saying how I interpret them as an anxious blah, blah 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 I said it all earlier girly first line you made Ohio feel just like Central Park as a Midwest girly that is so so relatable so relatable and I grew up in Indiana, obviously, in a very small town, but I only lived like 20 minutes from Ohio, so I know the general vibe of what Ohio and rural Indiana 
are like. And I know they are nothing like Central Park. But when I hear that line, I think about the relationships that I had with people, both romantically and platonically, when I was living in a small town and how being in love or having a really, really strong friendship with someone and all the joy that they bring to your life, a life that was once so mundane and so simple to, I'm generalizing and everything I'm saying, by the way, all that joy that they bring makes you feel like you're living and and visiting one of the busiest places in the whole world. It makes it feel as exciting as Central Park may feel to one who may visit. I think that is such a compliment. Honestly, that's such a compliment that only someone who is from like one of these rural towns can understand. And I think that this song in particular is really, really fresh Midwest girlies because I recognize like I, I am not mean because I grew up in New England because I'm not from New England. I'm a Midwesterner. So I can't relate to completely everything. But one thing that I can relate to is this song. Moving on, I'm going to go into the chorus, and that's where most of the lyrics that I'm going to talk about are for the rest of this song. Liberal rednecks get drunk on a dirt road. I am a liberal redneck, honestly. I'm, I'm pretty liberal. If you don't know that about me by now, I'm surprised. <laughs> I'll just sit down and say it. I'm pretty liberal. Um, but I also kind of am a redneck. I mean... I would say my town is a redneck town. Um, would I say that everyone from my town is a liberal? No. I will say there are certain groups of liberals there. Um, it's overwhelmingly conservative, but there are some. And as someone who was <laughs> a liberal and tried to hang out with more liberal people as much as I could, like liberal rednecks get drunk probably in like their, their parents' backyard. <laughs> or their childhood bedroom but that's just incredibly relatable and, and really takes me back to a lot of the memories I have in my hometown especially as a teenager the next line that I want to talk about is the intersection got a target and they're calling it downtown I love the way he sings that such an earworm for me I love it first off I grew up over an hour away from the closest target. My hometown could never. My hometown is not the demographic for a target at all. But what I love about that lyric is how well it gives an example of how much of a big deal going to target or having a target in your hometown is to someone who lives in one of these very, very, very small towns, right? Like I said, I didn't have Target. We didn't even have Walmart in my hometown. The closest Walmart was like 20 minute drive, okay? Really to get anywhere except local small town places was a 20 plus minute drive. And growing up, um, my mom's boyfriend, who is my sister's dad, but they never got married. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna call my stepdad, but to simplify it, I guess you can think of him as my stepdad, would come visit every other weekend. And on the weekends that he was there, 
we would make the big trip, over-exaggerated in quotes, big trip to the local bigger city, bigger city in quotes, that had the Walmart. And then we would go out to eat because they had all the nice restaurants there. Nice restaurants, as in we would always go to fucking Golden Corral <laughs> and eat until we made ourselves sick. Another reason. Yeah, I'm not even going to get into that, actually. As a teenager, I would do like a full face of makeup and save my cutest outfit for that. <laughs> That's so embarrassing to say, but it's true. Because it was such a big deal. My hometown could never, could never have a Target. But I completely understand and can relate to so much what this line is saying. Like something that to me now, going to Target is, I do that all the time. If I don't go to Target once a week, like, is there something wrong? There's something wrong with me. But to these people who have the small town perspective, it's a luxury, something they aren't able to do because they don't have the money to go to Target necessarily. They can't go on these big Target clothing or makeup or home decor hauls. And I mean, realistically, I shouldn't either. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Like, I think we all over consumer target a little bit, but they just can't because all of their money that they make working these minimum wage, small town jobs is going to pay their bills, going to put food on the table going to make sure they have a place to live. Not, not at target. Target is this big thing It is like central park to some of these people. And I think that's something that if you didn't grow up in poverty or a small town, you might hear what I'm saying right now and you might be like, yeah, I kind of get that. But you won't understand this core. And I, I'm sorry because I feel like I'm making a lot of generalizations, but the girls who get it, get it. Okay, the girls who get this, get this. And I'd love to have a combo with you if you get it. <laughs> Moving on, we're going to take this one line i'm going to break it down three times okay you and your new perspective now which i could shut it in a closet and drag you back down oof oof number one i want to hit on is gaining a new perspective when you leave your hometown and how jarring that new perspective is to someone who has never left. I read a comment that someone made about my hometown online that I'm going to share. This person said, you know, everyone there is generally pretty nice. It's a, it's a cute little small town, stereotypical small town. But all of the people there act like they have never seen a person of color before and for most of them that is probably true let that sit with you for a second for most of them that is probably true so the perspective they have on the world is so small and so limited 
they hardly, if ever, interact with people who are not white, who are not straight, who aren't Christian, who don't do things exactly like everyone in the small town does them. And again, this is a exaggeration. This is a generalization. Not every single person is like this, right? But with the average generalization of the overall town and the vibe that that community gives, there is no diversity. In high school, I think there were a total among like our whole middle school and high school of five Black students. There were so many people who were in the closet in high school who have since come out and I'm incredibly proud of because being gay was so stereotyped and looked at so poorly in that town. I feel like there was one or two quote unquote stereotypical gay guys in high school and that was it. Otherwise, everybody else had to be straight. I am not going to sit here and act like I have the biggest, like most diverse perspective on the world because I don't. I don't. I have lived in Indiana my whole life. I have barely made it out of the Midwest. I don't. And I will sit here and I will tell you guys that. To me, leaving that small town perspective and going to college in Muncie, Indiana, which if you're from Indiana, you know what Muncie's like was such an eye-opening experience. Like, I got to meet people from other states, from other countries, of different religions, of different sexualities, different gender identities. They were there at college. They were. And I got to meet them, and I got to learn from them. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. And that's why I will always advocate for leaving your hometown and going to a more diverse area. You don't have to go to college, but go to a slightly more diverse area. Doesn't even have to be crazy diverse, just slightly more diverse than your town full of straight white Christians. Do that because you will learn so much. Do that for just a year and you will learn so much if you're putting yourself out there and you're engrossing yourself in the diverse community. It can be so, so jarring and such a culture shock to people when they leave. It was to me. It was to me. But I was able to adapt and I was able to learn and I wanted to learn from these people. So that's why it went well for me and I didn't run back. I view this song as a member of my family is saying particularly this line you and your new perspective now wish I could shut it in a closet and drag you back down I view this line as what my family thinks of me and what my family is saying to me later on in this episode we're going to talk about you're going to go far and that's what I wish my family would have said to me but the reality is they are singing new perspective by Noah Khan to me all of their actions, how they have treated me since I started leaving when I went to college 18 years old, since I started being more openly liberal, since I started breaking the cycle and defining what they told me I had to do has been that line. And I feel like there was a, a 
a shift when I started going to college and, you know, when I started shifting my perspective on how they treated me and how they viewed me as an individual. I was also obviously getting older and I think they wanted to hold on to me being a child which was never going to happen. I obviously have to age. Life does, in fact, have to change. It can't stay the same forever. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. The next part that I want to break down and talk about is shut it in a closet. I interpret that as queer coded, personally. I'm not necessarily saying that's what it means. The cool thing about music, though, is everybody can infer the song differently. To some people, they might just move on past that line and not think of it as queer-coded, but to me, I can. To me, I can. Hearing this line in this particular song reminds me how my family, even though I am no contact, my family will forever hold this power. I know that I was raised in a house where I was told from three, four years old, as early as I can remember, if I ever quote unquote turn gay, I will be disowned. To have that engraved in your mind every single day. I think all of you can understand why I feel that way and why this line is like is held so heavily over me. We're going to move on. The drag you back down part. This really cements how personal this song is to me because I constantly feel like certain members of my family wish like anything they could drag me back down and I could be stuck in the thick of it with them. I am not saying through any of my interpretation of this song or my experiences that I'm sharing that I am living a morally or ethically better life than someone who stays in their hometown is. I know that's not true because I know, number one, there's nothing wrong with staying in your hometown. Even if your hometown is incredibly small, some people just prefer to live in a small town and that's okay that's okay live wherever you want but also I know there are a lot of people there who want to leave who want to go somewhere else but can't due to the cycles of generational trauma cycles of addiction cycles of mental health struggles cycles of not having money and no matter how hard you try, not being able to afford an education or having other factors such as a pregnancy or health reasons that hold you back, I know so, so many people, that is the reason why they stay. And I am not going to sit here and I hope no one interpreted it. Can you tell I have anxiety about being interpreted wrong? as me saying that it's like morally better and I'm like a morally better person. No, I understand diversity better. I have a more diverse perspective, but I'm not a better person than these people, whether they are actively choosing or they are forced to stay. 
that being said, I know what is better for me. I know what is achievement for me. I know what is growth for me. And I can also recognize that I feel this constant weight from certain members of my family that they just want to strip away the success and the growth that I have been able to find and take me right down with them. That was a lot. I don't know how long I've been talking. So I'm actually going to pause after every song. Now, take a little break. It might be a long break. I might come back in 30 minutes. I might come back later tonight. If not, I'll definitely come back tomorrow because I have to finish filming this and editing it tomorrow. Um, but I will be back. I'm going to collect my thoughts. Then we're going to talk about growing sideways, homesick, no complaints, and you're going to go far. And I love this episode so fucking much. Hello there, besties. We are back and time to move on to the second song from Stick Season that I will be breaking down, which is Growing Sideways. For the longest time, Growing Sideways was my favorite Noah Khan song. This has been one that since the first time I heard it, it has really resonated with me and brought me a lot of comfort in some ways, listening to songs about mental health and hearing that, you know, I'm not the only person in the world that has ever experienced something. I'm not alone, even though I might think that I am. It's it's comforting to me. I have to be in the right headspace for it, though, because sometimes if I'm not in the right headspace, listening to songs about mental health can send me down a little bit of a spiral. But for the most part, I do genuinely love and I love this song. I love this song. I think the song starts with the most relatable description of therapy like sitting on some older man's overpriced new leather couch arguing about Jesus and then finally finding some middle ground and he says you're curd that wasn't a direct quote but pretty close to a direct quote of those lyrics there. The uncured feels very sarcastic to me, to me, not saying that's how it was intended, but to me, it feels very sarcastic, which is incredibly relatable. I have been in and out of therapy since I was like eight years old. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've seen my fair share of therapists in my day. Let me just tell you that. And I've had some good ones. I've had some great ones. I've had some meh ones. I haven't had an awful, awful one, thankfully, yet. Knock on wood. But every single time that I end meeting with a therapist, that again, how I'm interpreting it, sarcastic, I'm cured in this song is so relatable because 
we're never really cured, right? <laughs> you can't cure someone of anxiety. You can't cure someone of depression, in my opinion. You can help them learn how to cope and be better, but it still is something that they may struggle with. You know, mental health healing is is not linear at all. It's a journey many, if not all of us, will go through for our entire life. So you might have made great strides. You may have achieved the goal that you were trying to achieve while you were in therapy and seeing a particular therapist, but are you ever really cured? Not trying to get too deep here. <laughs> I am. Who am I kidding? I am. We'll move on from that one, though. <laughs> um, one of the most relatable lyrics of all time, and really, I think one of the biggest reasons why this song stuck out to me from the first time I listened to it is the line that says, I'm so angry at my parents for what their parents did to them. Yep. Yep. I am. I am angry at my parents for what their parents did to them. And... I'm angry throughout every generation of my family. <laughs> I am. And all of the bullshit that they had to put up with that led to such compound generational trauma on both sides of my family. Different traumas in many different ways, but still, uh, still trauma. <laughs> I hope that you know if you are struggling with childhood trauma or you think back on your childhood and, and you're so mad at how your parents raised you in like 99% of the situations, in my opinion, again, this is not like a hard fact, in my opinion, it's generational trauma and it's been passed down and the way that they parent and the decisions they make in the grand scheme of things are a result to the trauma that they had growing up themselves. Not necessarily a bad thing. I think a, a cycle breaker is able to recognize, yes, my parenting styles and the way I'm choosing to raise my children is a direct result of what my parents did to me, but I'm going to make it a positive direct result. That's the parent that I hope to be one day. There's really so many places to place the blame when it comes to generational trauma. And that's why it's so complex to me. And it's so hard as someone who is a cycle breaker, who is no contact with her family, to place all of the blame on the individual people. Because I think about the way that my mom treated me. Just as an example, I'm not going to get into specifics. And I immediately think, you know, part of the reason why she was like that is probably because of how my grandma treated her when she was my age. And I know that very well. Like I, I've shared in previous episodes or on TikTok before, I grew up in like a very close matriarchal family 
uh, up until my great grandma passed away when I was 19, 20 years old. Um, it was my great grandma and my grandma living together and my mom essentially also living there with all of us. So I saw those three every day, day in and day out. And as a young child, it was shown in front of me day in and day out how these mothers and daughters treated each other and how they treated me and my siblings. There's no one to to place the individual blame of trauma on. There's just not. Because then I think about my grandma and I think about her situation and her upbringing and how she was treated as a child. And I'm not trying to say that how any of them treated me as ex what they did is acceptable because it's not. <laughs> There's a reason that I don't interact with them anymore. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. But I still know like it's not just they're a bad person and they have no explanation for it. It's it's much bigger than that, to say the least. And so that, that line will forever sting me. And there's a Zach Bryan song called Half Grown, a very, very, very underrated Zach Bryan song. One of my favorites of his entire discography that says a similar message to that line. I'm so angry at my parents for what their parents did to them. I definitely recommend any of you who like this song or or like Noah Khan in general or struggle with generational trauma, things like that, family dynamics, listen to Half Grown by Zach Ryan. It's a really good song. Anyways, the next line that I want to talk about in Growing Sideways is I'm terrified that I might never have met me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am fucking terrified that I might never have met me. Please tell me I'm not the only person who kind of struggles with this. Sometimes I do feel like, you know, because I am so ever changing and ever growing and, you know, my thoughts on issues change and my friends change and my style changes and my diet changes and the hobbies that consume my spare time change and my job changes. Everything is changing about me constantly. And so it's hard when, oh, working ABC job is part of my personality and being friends with person one, two, and three is part of my personality. And being a fan of this particular artist is part of my personality. And having a dog is part of my personality. When that changes, when that leaves, which is inevitable because change is inevitable in the human experience, it's hard to like have a sense of self and to know who you are at your core and to feel like you have an understanding of yourself, like the understanding that you have of those that you have met. Woof, that got deep. I think I said that pretty well though. Um, so I'm just going to kind of move on to avoid rambling and confusing myself or you all anymore. The last line that I want to talk about is it's better to die numb than feel it all. 
there are a couple songs that kind of sing the opposite of that. For example, the song Need You Now by Lady Antebellum says, guess I'd rather hurt than feel nothing at all. It's better to die numb than feel it all. There's this dichotomy. Some songs say, I would rather feel the pain and I would rather absorb in the pain than feel nothing. Like it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. That whole mindset. But this line in this song is saying, I would actually rather die, die numb to my feelings than feel it. And that's a huge connection to me to the song No Complaints. During my break uh, in between recording for our new perspective and now growing sideways, I was listening to a lot of Noah's work and I really sat down and listened to No Complaints and Homesick again. And man, No Complaints. Oh, that's going to be tough when we get there. That's got some feels, especially the last couple of years, for sure. But that right there, that that line to me is an example, again, of how these songs or so many lyrics that are ties in so many different directions to the other songs on the album. And I interpret that line, it's better to die numb than feel all to the entire song, No Complaints, which describes this, I have no right to complain about not feeling anything because... I'm on a prescription medication for a mental health condition. Ugh. This album is so fucking good, guys. So fucking good. That's all I have to say about Growing Sideways. Again, I, I loved our little combo. I loved getting all that out there. And I love that having your own podcast means you can talk for 30 minutes about each of these songs if you want because you're the boss and you make the decisions and it feels good to know also that the topics that I want to talk about and I'm passionate about I really feel like are going to resonate with the people who listen to my show because I know not every episode that I've released so far has has landed with my audience and that's okay we are not perfect identical matches but I do feel like this episode um is going to resonate with a lot of people if it's not for your love of Noah Khan as a person as a musician it will be for struggling with mental health or having some sort of trauma yeah yeah so I feel like this episode is really going to hit with a lot of people and that makes it feel double good since this has been my favorite episode Anyways, all right, moving on. Next, we are going to talk about Homesick. This is such a little bop. When I was listening to Homesick again earlier today, I just couldn't get over how boppy it was, but also so relatable. This song is how I felt when I lived in my hometown. And is also how I would feel if I still live there. Like if in another universe, when I didn't meet my husband when I did and the pandemic still happened and 
I inevitably was unable to find a job, which meant I was unable to pay my bills, which meant I'd have to move in with my family again. In that universe, like homesick is the story of my life. What I love about it so much is typically when you hear someone say, oh, I'm homesick, they're saying, I miss being home. In this song, it's someone who is sick of being home. The exact opposite. So that play on just that phrasing, I guess, the play on the phrasing of that, how it's written, really, really good. Really good. And I'm I'm a huge fan. I love it. All right. Moving into quoting exact lyrics here. Just go ahead and start with the first one that I want to talk about, which is some guy won Olympic gold eight years ago, a distance runner. And that makes sense. This place is such great motivation for anyone trying to move the fuck away from hibernation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A couple of things I want to pull out from that. First of all, pointing out that there is someone from that hometown that won Olympic gold eight years ago and like everybody still knows about it. So talks about it's such a big deal is incredibly relatable, especially being from a small town that is so small. At least when I was growing up, like, anybody who did anything and like the history of time in that town that was even sort of noteworthy was held on this high pedestal and was viewed as just this like amazing fantastic celebrity I will say there are a lot of people from my generation my you know probably about five-ish years older than me, five-ish years younger than me within that age range from my hometown that have been really, really successful, like starting their own business, getting their doctorate degree, being a musician. Like, I am really, really impressed by what so many people that I went to high school with have accomplished. Like, Success doesn't look the same for everybody, and I can recognize that, and I can see that, and there are so many different varieties of success within the people, like I said, within, like, that 10-year age range of when I was in school from my hometown, and even those who maybe took a more family-oriented path and didn't leave the area I see so many of them breaking generational curses and breaking bad cycles that have lived on in their family for years and years and years. And that is just, just as, just as noteworthy as the accomplishments professionally that others have, have had. So I definitely want to call that out too. That's an aside, though, um, to say that, you know, growing up, if there was someone from our town that was an Olympic gold medalist, like, I would view him as the biggest celebrity in the world. Genuinely. Genuinely. But also, 
I I love how in the song it's saying, of course, the distance runner would come from this small town. That makes a lot of sense because people want to run as far away from here as they can as soon as they get the chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next line that I want to talk about is, well, I'm tired of dirt roads named after high school's friends' grandfathers. This ties into this like really small sense of community living again in a really small area to where your back road is named after someone you went to high schools with grandpa that like you don't know but you do know through that weird connection of like you were friends with this person in high school so maybe you met their grandpa a couple times but like maybe he's the doctor in town so he's like a small town celebrity famous in a small town and so now he has a street named after him like that is such a small town thing that is such a small town thing I love it I love that it's called out in this song so much Next line, and motherfuckers here still don't know they caught the Boston Bombers. I think that that shows, again, from my interpretation, a lack of education that might be present in small towns, which is no one's fault. It is a societal issue why small towns are not as educated. But also... Like, it might show a lack of connect to staying up with current news or just being, like, blissfully, blissfully ignorant to something. Like, completely unaware that you're wrong. And it's not necessarily to blame. There's not, like, anything morally or ethically wrong with living your life and thinking that the people bombed the Boston Marathon are still out and, like, haven't been arrested or caught there's nothing wrong with that. I'm sure it's more anxiety inducing and you're feeling stress for reasons you don't necessarily have to feel, but it doesn't make you a bad person. All that to say, it just shows like the how blissfully unaware people in these kind of towns can be. The sex line, I mean, because I grew up in New England, I cannot relate to that at all. <laughs> I feel like I've been like reading every line and I've just been like yep yep I can relate to that I can relate to that I did not grow up in New England and I'm not mean if anything it's I am overly polite and will apologize for literally everything that I do because I grew up in the Midwest someone turned that into a song I'm sure there already is one. That's how it resonates with me. It's just like the area in which you grow up affects your personality so much. Next line. I got dreams, but I can't make myself believe them. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys love how everything I'm just reading the line, the lyric to you and then like, yeah, <laughs> like the girls who get it, get it. <laughs> they just, they know how relatable that is. I got dreams, but I can't make myself believe them. That really resonates with me because I feel like there's a lot of fear for people who stay in, in small towns. Like, you know, when we're kids, 
if we want to be a vet when we grow up, we proudly tell everyone we want to be a vet. And we don't think about the logical side things, right? We just say, I love animals. I enjoy science. I think this is what I want to do. I want to be a vet. And everyone is is so proud of you and like encourages you. And, and it's great. It's It's great. Then you grow up and you realize why being a vet is unobtainable for you. You know, your family doesn't have the money to put you in college. You are the first person in your family to ever go to college. So you don't even know what the process is like. And you go to an underfunded school, an understaffed school where they might not have the resources to help you figure it out and help you guide you on this path to be a successful first generation college student. Nobody talks about how hard it is to be the first person in your family to go to school. It is so hard. It is so hard. And if you are a first generation college student, whether you graduated or not, just going, congratulations, congratulations. You just, you grow up and you start to absorb reality and you realize this dream of being a vet that I've had since I was five or six years old is just, it's not obtainable for me. So then you find another dream or maybe you don't have a dream at all. And maybe you just work a job because you have to pay your bills because you have to feed yourself and you have to find a place to live. And you have to feed your kids and you have to have a safe place where your kids live or your partner or your parents that you're taking care of, whoever it is. So you can no longer believe in your dreams. How sad is that? And it's, it's no one's, it's no one's fault. It's societal shit. But how sad is it? to watch your dreams just <laughs> become less and less realistic. And I'm the delusional one that is still going to chase them anyways. I always have been. One of my greatest motivations has been the phrase, prove them wrong. And in everything that I do, I just live to prove anyone who told me my dreams were not possible wrong. I haven't fully achieved all my dreams yet, but baby, I'm working harder towards my dreams now than I ever have. And I am so proud of myself for that because I got dreams and I am delusional enough to chase them no matter how hard society tells me I shouldn't. Moving on. Spend the rest of my life with what could have been and I will die in the house that I grew up in. I've seen this through my own grandmother and mother's perspective. I've seen this. I know what it's like to spend so much time longing for when you are so blissfully unaware of life's reality, when you are stuck in generational trauma. I know what it's like to confide in your teenage children and tell them all about your dreams every single day, knowing damn well 
you're never going to get there. Because I was a teenager who had a parent who was telling me these things, who was sharing their dreams with me, who was living in this but could have been mindset. And I will die in the house that I grew up in. My my brother is probably going to die in the house that we grew up in. My sister might. I'm not. My mom is going to die in the house she grew up in. Or I should say the house right next door. Because my mom now owns the home right next to the trailer that I grew up in. That my grandma still lives in to this day. There's nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a reality that I just, I I would be homesick. I would be homesick if that was my reality. The song is so heavy. So heavy. And they're still going to be heavy. Because we have two more. We have no complaints. And you're going to go far. I'm going to take another quick break. I'm sorry if it's obvious that I'm taking these breaks in between. And if it's not obvious at all, I'm sorry that I feel like I can't hide anything from you guys. And I have to over explain my every move. All right. We'll be back soon. Love ya. Hey there, besties. We are back and we are going to wrap this episode up by taking a closer look and really digging deep into the lyrics of No Complaints and You're Gonna Go Far by Noah Khan. And I'm going to be talking a lot about how both of these songs are Roman empires for me and how much I relate to them <laughs> and how much I literally see my own life in my mind every single time I hear these songs. So let's start with No Complaints. No Complaints is about being on an antidepressant. And I'm currently on Zoloft. Uh, I've been on Zoloft for most of 2023, I think. I think I started it in like February or March. This year was really weird and flew by and was a lot of a blur, um, which shows how fucking relatable this song is in that sentence itself. But before I was on Zoloft, I was on Prozac and I started Prozac in late October, early November of 2022. And I had taken both Prozac and Zoloft before when I was a teenager. Um, and I wasn't on either of them very long, maybe like a year total. And if I'm being completely honest, my memories of that time and how the medicine affected me at that age are very, 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 very sparse. I can't tell you much, but I can tell you I made it through. <laughs> and that's that. When I first started Prozac again in late 2022, after not being on an SSRI or any sort of mental health medication for 
almost 10 years, probably closer to like eight or so years. I, every day felt like I was high or drunk. One of the two, just by taking this medication, because it shifted my perspective so much. I was just feeling everything. I was word vomiting everything. I was having a lot of really, really quick, honestly, alarmingly quick, like shifts in like my anxiety and my depression and my perspective. And I was able to really like rip myself out of it. Um, And then it kind of just became this comfortable numbness that I feel like no complaints really talks about. And instead of spending any more time talking about just me, I'm going to dig into this song. So the first line that I want to pull out is, but I finally got sewed up. I said a time, then I showed up. And now the weight of the world ain't so bad. That is incredibly relatable to my experience in starting Prozac and then, of course, switching when I switched to Zoloft in late 2022 and then this year in 2023. Like, I finally went. I finally set the appointment. I finally showed up. I finally talked to a medical professional about how I was feeling. And I did it. I got I got sewed up. I got fixed. We're good to go. We got the answer. Medication. Woo! Now the way to the world ain't so bad. And like I said, at least in my personal experience, within a couple of weeks, like I was like, wow, like this isn't as bad as I thought. I'm healed. I'm healed. And that obviously is all incredibly exaggerated. I was not healed. <laughs> An SSRI on its own is not this magical pill that's just going to fix all of your problems. And I think that a lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget that. And they think that once you get on the medication, you get diagnosed with something, you're taking meds to help with it, that things are suddenly so much better. And who are you to complain? Who are you to have negative feedback? You're do, you're taking the medication. Maybe you're taking the medication in a combination with therapy. Shouldn't you be better? Why are you still anxious? Why are you still depressed? What do you mean? You're taking your little pill for that. Especially growing up in a small town too, where mental health was so stigmatized and God forbid you actually did something to work on your mental health, like take medication, then everyone in your small town found out about it and everyone was gossiping about it. Who are you to complain? Who are you to complain? I jumped ahead so much there, but I just had to get that out. You know, there's, again, this song fits in so perfectly with this like perspective of someone from a small town, from this very, very narrow perspective, this narrow worldview. Like they view, like, who are you to complain? You got the help that you needed. You got the help that's supposed to fix you, right? 
And I love how this song is like, actually, it's 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 not like that. <laughs> this pill is not going to fix you. This pill is actually going to cause different problems. And you're going to feel like you can't complain about those problems because, you know, would you rather be incredibly depressed and anxious or would you rather be comfortably numb or maybe uncomfortably numb? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. I don't think anybody does. I do think it's interesting before I continue on in the song, just to talk about my life and when I was on medication as a teenager and when I was really struggling with my mental health as a teenager and I was confiding so much in my mom and I was being so open in therapy. I think it says a lot about my relationship with my mom, about me growing up about how I viewed myself about how I was viewed by others my mom would run and tell every single one of her co-workers at McDonald's about my mental health problems like she was such a gossiper nothing was private and I get it like my mom needed help my mom needed support my mom needed someone to confide in and my mom didn't have a lot of friends besides the people she worked with but at the same time, why can't you respect your 14-year-old daughter's privacy enough to not tell every single person that you work with at the small town McDonald's about your daughter being on Prozac and having to be in some serious therapy? Like, that's really none of their business. Again, I know she needed support. I know she needed help. I'm trying to view it from the most positive, like, angle and give her the benefit of the doubt as much as possible. But it's hard it's hard you know and I, th I think about that a lot that in itself is a Roman empire for me why was my mom telling all of my private thoughts and private experiences to everyone and maybe that's why the older I got the less and less I felt comfortable telling her because I wanted to confide in my mom I wanted to talk to my mom but I didn't want my mom to go tell everyone in our small town. Getting back to the song. Thanks for sticking with me for that aside there. The next lyric I want to pull out is, I filled the hole in my head with prescription medication and forgot how to cry. Who am I to complain? When you're on these SSRIs, these mental health medications, at least in my experience and the ones that I've taken, you experience this numbness. I was on Prozac when I found out that my dad had died. And I think I only broke through and cried for maybe an hour that day, if I'm being honest. And yeah, my dad and I weren't particularly close, but there was still like a lot of emotion in that relationship that you would think I would cry for more than an hour, especially considering all like the trauma I have around like death and stuff like that. You would think I would cry for more than an hour, but I didn't. But who am I to complain, right? Thank goodness I didn't spend my whole day on New Year's Day. My dad passed away on New Year's Day of 2023. I should be glad I didn't spend my entire day bawling hysterically, right? Right? Like, 
the antidepressant's working, right? You're not crying. So that's good, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. It's such a weird feeling to be upset by something, to be hurting and to not be able to cry because of the medication you're on. And no one talks about this. No one talks about this. This song is the first time I've heard this conversation ever, at least in my experience. Can't speak for everyone, but I'm talking for myself here. No one talks about this because you should be glad that you're not, you know, so depressed that you can't get out of bed and you're crying all day. Like, yeah, I am glad. But also this medication has put me at this this different extreme. And of course, I'm speaking in extremes like I have with every song here. Like, in my experience, not every single day is like this. I have been able to cry. I have adjusted much, much, much better. I actually think that the dosage of medication that I'm on right now is like perfect for me. So I've made it through this phase of this numbness, of this not feeling anything, and I've come out to see the other side. So like, don't don't worry about me too much <laughs> like I know I feel like talking so openly like it can you know maybe maybe concern some people and I and I understand I would be concerned too but like I am fine I am not a threat to myself I'm not a threat to others I promise I'm fine and I made it past this but I love vulnerability is so important to me and I want to be the type of vulnerability that I would have needed when I was younger and so I think in sharing that there's a lot of strength and so that's why I share again you know I'm an anxious girly when I have to over explain and be like guys I I'm fine I'm fine now like I am mostly talking about this past year but also like oof oof medication is supposed to be this answer medication helps and it does help therapy helps but you're not going to be perfect and you still have the right to complain and you still have the right to feel like things aren't exactly how I want it yet. Even if you are taking medication, even if you are in therapy, you shouldn't have to choose between numbness and depression. <laughs> you shouldn't have to say being numb to feeling anything at all. And not being excited, not being angry, not being sad is better than just not being as depressed as you once were. And now the pain's different. It still exists. It just escapes different. Yeah, the pain's still there. The pain is still there. You still feel hurt. You still feel upset. You still struggle with depression and anxiety when you're on these medications. It just doesn't come out like it used to before you were on the medication. I think in my experience, it puts this buffer up that helps you, you know, have a moment to take a chill pill. And in most situations, that's great. And I don't mean a literal chill pill. I mean like a mental like pause kind of chill pill thing. I think in most situations, that's great. And it, it helps. And the pain escapes, but it escapes in a healthier way. But when you're thinking about this numbness and this just not feeling anything at all, 
that is an escape in some ways. And you're allowed to complain about it. I'm not going to keep rambling and repeating myself. So I'm going to just keep it short and sweet there. The last line that I want to pull out from this song is in love with being noticed and afraid of being seen. Just in general, that is one of my favorite lyrics from this entire album because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can relate to the feeling of being in love with being noticed and being recognized and being praised and being liked but also being so afraid of actually being seen for who you are, of wanting to be praised and recognized and have your hard work pay off, but having this anxiety at the same time of being seen as an accomplished, smart, talented, good person. I could probably do a whole podcast episode talking about the Roman Empire of that line and its implications and my feelings and approach to life and all that. I'm not going to <laughs> um, because I don't think there's interest in anyone listening to that. If there is, let me know and maybe we can in the future. But that line is just so good. In love with being noticed and afraid of being seen. Like, we all want to be noticed. We all want to be picked out of the crowd. We all want attention to some capacity. But we can also be afraid of it. It's an interesting dichotomy there. And I hope dichotomy is the right word to use in this situation. Sometimes I think I just use big words to sound more intelligent than I am. That's all I got on No Complaints. Really, really good song. We are going to transition now into the last song that we're going to talk about today, which is You're Going to Go Far. This song is so healing. This song is so comforting. This song is so fucking good. and will be a song I will carry with me for the rest of my life. No joke for the rest of my life. This song is what I've always needed to hear. I talked about it earlier when we went through New Perspective at the beginning of this episode. I feel like New Perspective is my family talking to me and how they aren't happy for me. They aren't wanting the best for me. Instead, they wish they could shove me back in a closet and pull me back down. Right? Take away the new perspective I've gained right? But then you're going to go far. This person is happy for you, is happy that you left, knows that your life is going to be get better because you're going far. They recognize how important leaving and breaking the cycle and chasing your dreams is for you. And as a cycle breaker who generally feels like I don't have that sentiment. I don't have someone back in my family who is like, yes, we, we've been rooting for you. We've, we've seen this in you from a young age, not having that fucking sucks. And I think so much of my trauma 
and I'm only speaking from my experience, I'm not trying to generalize for everybody else, but so much of my trauma would not be as extreme if I confidently felt that my family was supportive of me, that my family could look at me and say, we ain't angry at you, love. We'll be waiting for you, love, and we'll all be here forever. And if my family could say, if you want to go far, then you got to go far. But I, I, I've never gotten that. And so this song is the closest thing I will ever get to that. And I am so fucking grateful for this song. I am so fucking grateful for this song. We're going to start at the very beginning. The only time I got to praying for a red light was when I saw your destination as a deadline. This is normal conversation, babe. It's all fine. Making quiet calculations where the fault lies. I haven't been back to my hometown in a long time, but I remember some of the last times that I did. Instead of, you know, getting in a car ride for two hours and being excited about your destination and having something to look forward to, it was a two-hour car ride full of dread. It was a two-hour car ride full of wishing this could just be over. About wishing you didn't have to do it. And that was in my phase where I felt like I still had to please people who were not good for me who I still had to do what others wanted me to do and not what I truly wanted, where I wasn't making decisions to benefit myself. I was making decisions to please others. I still do that sometimes, but it was way, way, way worse back then. And I was getting myself in these situations and having these conversations that were incredibly detrimental to my mental health, but I was doing it because, you know, it was viewed as this is just a normal conversation. This is just something that's going to come up. You're going to have to talk about it. You're going to get called names and belittled and gaslit. That's just normal. That's just normal. Again, this is my interpretation. This is my relation to the song. I'm not trying to say this is what the song is saying <laughs> is happening because I think in the actual story of the song, it is different. But again, that's the beautiful thing about music. You can interpret the lyrics in many different ways. I also really like the focus on the quiet calculation where the fault lies. I mean, I've talked a little bit about placing blame, placing fault in this episode not much. I could get into it because that's a Roman empire. It's hard. It's hard to say whose fault it is in situations of trauma, especially generational trauma, because is it really just their fault? I don't think one person is to blame. That's where I'm at right now. And I pride myself on being a really empathetic person. Um, and that's actually something I'm working on in therapy right now because I'm so hard on myself and I'm so quick to be like, oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. I'm so sorry. Here, let me let me fix for you. But I am so slow to place the blame on anybody else and say it's ever anybody else's fault in any situation, professional, personal. It, it's, it's something I struggle with. And 
I've spent so much time just thinking about whose fault is it in these conflicts with my family. And I can relate so hard to having these conversations again that are that are toxic, that are not good for you, but feeling like, oh, this is just a normal conversation. Everybody has this conversation with their parents and the whole time just being like, who's at fault here? And thinking about it. Moving on. It makes me smile to know when things get hard, you'll be far, you'll be far from here. It's comforting to hear that. It's it's incredibly comforting to, in this think about in this parallel universe where this song is my reality and new perspective is not my reality that someone in my family can think of me and can think positively and you know when they're struggling and they're going through something can think well at least my daughter my granddaughter was able to to break past this. And I know that future generations of my lineage, her children, her grandchildren will not have the same trauma and the same struggle that I had. I hope. And to have a little bit of empathy for the women that raised me specifically, I I think in a very, very deep level of their heart, they do feel that way. I also pulled out the line, we ain't angry at you, love. You're the greatest thing we've lost. Similarly, this is just all I want to hear. I just want to know that they're not mad at me, that they don't hate me for making the decisions I had to make to be a cycle breaker, to get out of this environment, that was so incredibly toxic for me. I just hope that they aren't angry at me. <laughs> the birds will still sing. Our folks will still fight. The boards will still creak. The leaves will still die. We ain't angry at you, love. We'll be waiting for you, love. And we'll all be here forever. That's so comforting. That's so comforting. <laughs> I think I spend a lot of time thinking that there isn't normalcy, there isn't calm, there isn't routine back there anymore because so much of my childhood was the opposite of calm, was the opposite of normal. The reality is there is a lot of normal, simple, boring things like hearing the birds chirp every morning, having a creaky floorboard in your hallway, watching the leaves die every fall and the snowfall every winter. Like that stuff is still happening. That stuff will continue to happen, will happen forever, no matter how far away I go. That is just fact. The seasons will continue to change. <laughs> that is still fact this mundane everyday part of life will still be there whether I'm there or not and again to hear like someone say they're okay with that they're okay with this life the simple life and they're okay with living in it and watching it happen without you there it, it would just be so healing to hear that that's the thing about survival who the hell likes living just to die 
I think we talked about this. I've been recording for so long for this episode. I think in raw footage, we might be hitting three hours, at least over two. So I'm sorry if we didn't as much as I say, but I think we talked about dreams and being in a small town and feeling like your dreams are just never going to happen and there's nothing you can do and just giving up on your dreams and just surviving that happens a lot and in my family situation for instance I think about my mom being a single mom working making just above minimum wage at McDonald's which is a shitty place to work for over 20 years dealing with everything around the house her own struggles her relationship with her own mother she was just surviving she was just surviving that might still be how she is to this day I haven't spoken to her in a while so I don't know but who who likes living like that and that reminder to me is and then I'll tie it in with the last line of the song that says if you want to go far then you gotta go far if you want to break through past this survival this living just to die then you have to physically leave you have to break that cycle you have to do something different than what was modeled before you you have to physically move out of that town you have to cut off people that are holding you back you gotta go far you gotta go far if you want to do something then just survive then just live to die and i am so proud of myself for doing that for making that change and you know i've said a few times like it's it's comforting to hear this song and to pretend that someone in my family feels this way about me i gotta remind myself i feel this way about me maybe this is a love song of me maybe that's why i love it so much reminding myself who likes living just to die who likes just surviving i sure as hell don't so you gotta go far and i did that and i am not angry at myself oh that was so good that was so good the last line that i want to break down from this song is it won't be by your own volition if you step foot outside this town but it's all we've had for always and just thinking about you know especially my mom in particular who has never moved out of my my hometown my hometown is her hometown she's lived there for almost 52 years she'll never leave she doesn't want to leave and trying to understand that perspective is it's challenging for me because I am such a polar opposite but it's so true for so many people and I think to get to a place of a full healing and of empathy and all that you gotta you gotta learn to realize like some people are perfectly okay with staying in their hometown forever some people when hear the messages and the themes from the stick season album and would get immediately turned off and would get annoyed because it is so 
far the opposite of how they feel about their hometown. And again, we've talked about this. There is nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. As long as they are not, you know, being problematic in one way or another, you are allowed to live in the town you were born in. You are allowed to die in the house you grew up in. You are allowed to spend, call it back to homesick. I'll read the lyric to you all. I spend the rest of my life with what could have been, and I will die in the house that I grew up in. You're allowed to feel that way if you want, as long as you are not hurting others. <laughs> and some people, they will never step foot outside of their hometown. It's all they've had. And I hope that those people can think of the people who go far from this perspective. Not just talking about my family, talking about everyone. Everyone who stays back in their hometown and watches a family member or a friend or just some random person they went to high school with go far and remove themselves so fully. Do you realize how much people have to go through to feel like their only option is to cut off their entire upbringing. It's not something people just choose willy-nilly. This was so healing. This was so comforting. And this just rooted my love for Noah Khan and this album and these songs so much. If you listened all the way through, I adore you. I adore you. <laughs> I do. And thank you for being here. And thank you for listening to my story. I think I have a lot of insight. I think I have a story that I know I have a story that I want to share. It's just a matter of it finding its right audience. And I'm glad that you are a part of that audience. And I'm sending you so much love and a big hug. I know the holidays are hard. I know life is hard. I know I'm not the only one who feels this way from time to time. If you want to go far, then you got to go far. Go far. Don't give up. I believe in you. That's all we have for today's episode, besties. If you like this episode, I would love if you could subscribe. Please leave me a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and TikTok. My username is xoxosarah515. Also, if you take a look at the episode description, you will see a link to a Google form where you can answer my question, what is your Roman empire? I would love to hear from you. So hopefully we can do a future listener submissions episode. And you will also find a link to a Discord channel that is just a group chat to come hang out with me and other members of my little community. I'd love to have you join me. And if for some reason that link does not work, please let me know so I can get it updated. I had someone reach out and tell me it wasn't working for them. I'm sorry, it should work. Um, but if it doesn't, let me know. Anyways, bye. I love you and have a good day.